You are listening to Absent Minded, brought to you by HabsEyesOnThePrize.com. Bet Online continues to be your number one source for all your basketball wagering needs, including pro and college hoops throughout the year. With up-to-the-minute odds, stats, and trends, you can follow your favorite team's path to the playoffs with in-game live betting, contests, and all the best player props. Experience the world's best wagering platform anytime from your desktop or your mobile devices. Head to Bet Online today to become part of the team and remember to use promo code BELIEVE, that's B L E A V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, the game starts here. Hello and welcome to. <laughs> this unnamed... Still don't have a title. Yeah, we still. This unnamed women's hockey podcast. I was going to. I was going to start my regular intro for for our canadian podcast and i'm like no that's not what we're doing here um my name is jared book uh you heard zoe hayden's voice uh editor at the at uh victory press uh zoe how are you i'm doing great how are you i'm i'm good um yeah we still don't have a name for this you know, it's it's the the theme of the PWHL, right? We'll we'll come up with yeah. We don't need a name. Yeah, we don't need you know, a name to be successful. I think that's a, that's a very good point. Yeah, you know, for for season two, maybe we'll have a name. We'll we'll see. Um, yeah, we don't have a, we don't have somebody like Amy Shear working for us uh, and coming up with these names. But uh, when when it's ready, we will we will announce it. Um, speaking of announcing, we we have uh, our first trade in the PWHL and I I'm going to go on a limb and I'm pretty sure it's not really a limb but I think this is the first hockey trade that we've ever seen in women's hockey <laughs> um, where it's not because somebody wanted to play somewhere else um, it's not because uh, you know it's not for future considerations uh, it, it's a real hockey trade where two teams are trying to get better themselves um and if you didn't see it it was minnesota trading uh abby cook and susanna tapani to boston uh for sophie jakes and uh well zoe your your first thoughts when when you saw that trade oh i don't i was (laughs) well first of all it happened like right at the beginning of the super bowl which i wasn't watching but i was literally um I was taking the opportunity to like run some errands, you know, with public basically being deserted at the time. Um, So I saw it on my phone and I was like, that's interesting. And it made complete sense to me at the time because I really was sensing that Sophie Jakes wasn't fitting in in Boston where they probably wanted her to fit in. Um, Just, you know, she hadn't really been utilized very much. I did see her making some like kind of strong individual offensive efforts, but I didn't see her really contributing to like their all around game the way that some of their other defenders have been doing. And I think their defense core in general has been pretty good at like kind of generating things and having like the right instincts from the offensive blue line. Um, 
And, you know, that's kind of where Sophie Jakes is supposed to shine, right? Is being like inside that offensive blue line and going to work. But she really wasn't getting the opportunities, I think, to make the kind of plays that she might instinctually want to make based on her history. I think just because Boston style is very different than what she's been playing at Ohio State for the last five years. And I think the adjustment period just maybe wasn't something that she and the staff were kind of like mutually, you know, on the same page about like, you know, not to say that she was playing badly, but I think, you know, they signed her to a three-year contract. They're probably thinking like, you know, what's the next step here? How do we move on from this where, you know, maybe you're not playing the way that you want to play and where we're not getting necessarily what we need to get out of our say seven defenders that we address every night. Um, So it made sense to me specifically from the Sophie Jakes perspective. And I, I'm not a hundred percent sure who originated the trade, but I kind of get the sense that maybe Boston may have been shopping her to see like, you know, what they might be able to get in return that would fit into what they're trying to do. Um, And I think it makes sense that um, maybe she was also open to going somewhere else potentially. Um, And I really liked what uh, Natalie Darwitz had to say about her as a player. Um, I think in the quotes that Haley Salvian published at The Athletic, just about how like, you know, they're going to try to put her in a position where she can really like be let loose and go thrive. Um, And I think that is a great move from a purely Sophie Jakes perspective. Yeah, it's it's really interesting to me because I I don't watch as much NCAA hockey as I want to. Uh, a because it's not always available uh, without you know um, going through internet hoops in Canada, uh, and B just because there's only so much hockey one can consume uh, at, at one time, and and you have to make choices of, of what of what uh, of what hockey you watch and what you don't watch. Um, but obviously, you you hear about the um you know the, the season she had in her in her senior year the patty kazmaier uh and, and things like that and you know heading into the draft you know she's someone that you you know people looked at as a potential first round pick um she ended up going uh you know middle middle ish of of round of round two and it, it's it's seems like she she does take like Throughout her career, like you look at her numbers from her freshman and sophomore years, like they 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 don't leave off the page, like her junior and senior uh, mm-hmm. seasons do, and, and I think that you know you you even saw it in um, the start of the rivalry series when she she played she got the call for Canada, she just didn't seem like she was at that level yet, and I think that what you see is that you see a team like Boston, and they you know they put her with. Uh, Emily Brown to start the year. She 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 was on a on a pairing with Megan Keller a little bit. There was uh De Girolamo as well, um, who uh who was on that left side with her. Uh and so I feel like they they are in a point where they aren't necessarily in a position where they can afford to wait because that's a it's a very veteran heavy team. And and I think that they want their defense to kind of defer to the forwards because they have so much talent at forward and, and she wasn't necessarily able to do that and, and play the game that makes her best. And, and I think that it's, it's going to be interesting to see the fit in Minnesota because um, Minnesota is a team that, that has really driven play through their forwards 
driving through the ice. Like uh, Grace Dumwinkle, Taylor Heise, like those are players that have, you know, the, you know, even Kendall Coyne Schofield, like players that that rush the puck, and and it'll be interesting to add a defender to that group, uh, and see see what she can do, um, offensively, and also give her the time to to develop. And there's also kind of long term salary implications as well, right? Because you mentioned a three year contract, uh, that does come with uh, a salary of you know at least eighty thousand dollars, um, that's mandated. And when you have a salary cap. And you have a player that you can't necessarily trust to be in your top six. And near, you know, at the end of, you know, her time in Boston, she she was often listed as a seventh defender. You can't necessarily afford to do that in a cap mm -hmm. sense either, right? So, it, very interesting um, to see. Yeah, and those, this uh, trade. those those yeah. three year contracts are also like the multi year contracts. They can't be dismissed for performance reasons. Those are right. guaranteed. Um, so, you know, if they had signed Sophie Jakes to a one-year contract, we might be having a very different conversation, but they didn't. They signed her to a three-year, like one of those, like, you know, keystone contracts that they're required to maintain. Um, so if it wasn't working out for them and they didn't really want to, I, I, I hesitate to say it this way because it makes it sound kind of mean. And I don't think that they have any mean feelings about Sophie Jakes or mm. her play at all. But it's like if they're saying like, you know, you're going to need more time to settle in at this level and we're not sure that this is the best place for you to do that. Like, it makes sense. Um, yeah. I do think like, you know, the the way that teams forecheck in this league is something that she really hasn't had to deal with before. Like, you know, even in the WCHA, which is a much more contact heavy conference, like the the physical level of forechecking that you're getting in the PWHL is still so, so well beyond that um and I think that it's kind of like it's it has the potential to really mess with her pacing and her you know her instincts and timing um in a way that's going to take you know a little bit of time for her to settle in yeah and it's she's really also like the first like high profile rookie that we've seen enter you know really you know, at a high level league, even, you know, if you look at the CWHL, PHF, usually those top rookies have the national team experience, like a Taylor Heisey, like a Alina Mueller. Mm -hmm. They don't necessarily have like actual development to do. Like she's really the first that I could think of. And there might be others that I'm, I'm not thinking of, but she's really the first top prospect that has come in and had high expectations but hasn't had that experience at the senior national team. And mm -hmm. and when you enter a league like this, it, it's a different pace. And that's not, not taking anything away from her. It's just a reality of the situation. You, you, you ask any of the um, the players coming from the NCAA, um, and they'll say that the pace is, is different. Even if you ask a, a Taylor Heise or an Alina Mueller uh, who have that national team experience, they'll say, yeah, it's it's a, it's a different, different style of play. And, and I think that there's... There's never really been, um, and I don't have to list in front of me, but I, I I can't remember a Patty Kazmaier or a winner that has just had to kind of come in with that high expectation, especially as a defender, and and mm -hmm. you know typically they they develop later anyway. It takes more time, uh, and and just um, have that struggle. And and she's not the the first one. I mean, someone else who has that same style of play is someone like Erin Ambrose, and it took her a few years to to kind of mm -hmm. hit her stride as well and and it, it's it's not 
nothing I'm saying is that she's not going to get there. It's just when you're in a cap league and you commit to a player like that, uh, you you know, and it's clear that, you know, I think it's clear by this trade that she wasn't fitting into their plans. And that's nothing against her. It's just teams have different realities uh, that it's best just to move on and, and, and see, see what happens. Um, and it's, uh, I'm, I'm sure that there were other teams that have maybe, that maybe inquired, uh, but maybe didn't have the, um, didn't want to give up a, a forward piece like, like a, a Tapani, um, that, that Minnesota did. And it's going to be very interesting to see how, I mean, that forward group just gets even stronger, right? It, it's just, it's an embarrassment of riches at this point, um, yeah. of, of what and they I can do offensively there in Boston. Yeah, I feel like, I don't know. I feel like I'm having this debate with myself because people keep saying like, oh yeah, their forward group is so strong. Like, you know, I, someone mentioned to me the other day that like they lead, I believe they lead the league in like shooting percentage, like team shooting mm -hmm. percentage. But a lot of that is comes from Mueller because wasn't Mueller shooting at like 50% for a while? Um, so <laughs> Gable think, as well. Gable as well had, yeah. the, had that game, the hat trick game. Um, yeah. So um, like, I think that number is like a bit, you know, misleading. Mm-hmm. To me, their offense has looked the least cohesive. Like, I mean, you say what you will about Toronto, but, you know, and Spooner really carrying them right now, but Spooner got hot and it's not like the players around her aren't also getting chances. She just happens to be the one finishing. Like, they look like a different team since that shootout win that they got. Yes. Uh, like, across the board. Um, and to me, Boston's forwards, are really the it's the group that to me hasn't clicked yet that really, mm -hmm. really haven't like kind of shown what their style and their identity is going to be um like they're not finishing i think at the level that they really need to be finishing at um which is exactly what we were saying about toronto a few weeks ago um mm -hmm. and i think like the addition that they get with uh Tappany into this group is a really great return for them and i think that Abby Cook is also an awesome option for them who really might fit more into what their current defender group is. Like they need someone reliable who can really like kind of hit the net consistently to generate rebounds, um, who can carry the puck super well and who has a bit of size, I think. Um, and I think Abby Cook really covers all of those bases for them. Um, I just, I think it's a great return for Boston. Like people, a lot of people have said like, you know, Minnesota obviously won this trade, and I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think that, yeah. to me, looking at both rosters, I think it addresses kind of the same level of need for both teams in a way. Um, I think it's a good trade for both parties. Yeah, you mentioned Abby Cook, and, and she kind of fits into, um, I want to say, that whole kind of Minnesota team identity where they don't have, like, the – other than, like, the the – the Zumwinkles, the Heisies, like they don't have like that, that player that's going to like have that name recognition, but they're just a solid team. And, and mm -hmm. she really fits into that. Like um, there's a lot of players on that team that, you know, if you, if you don't follow Minnesota women's hockey, you know, you might not know who they are, um, but they're just, just all really good players. Uh, and, and yeah, I think that, you know, she can kind of fit into that Boston team and, and kind of solidify that, um them defensively uh and and kind of start to play up ice and uh and you know give the puck to <laughs> to the Hillary Knights and the Lee Mueller's and uh have them kind of rush it up and yeah it'll it'll be very interesting to see because um yeah it's they they they're a team but 
Boston and Toronto, I think, are the two teams that people, and I guess you can lump New York into that as well, people that thought that they would be much better than they've performed. And that's not to say that Boston's mm-hmm. performed badly. Um, they're still, you know, I think they're third in the league at this point. But it, it's just they, you you look at that roster and you're like, okay, when is it? When's it going to come? Like what? When? And they've had spurts of it, but then they, you know, they they had that top line of of Knight, Mueller, and Gable, and then they broke that line up against Montreal, and mm-hmm. and you know were relatively um, outplayed in in that game. Uh, from yeah, I've seen several games from them yeah. where I feel like their fourth line was actually their best line. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Gigi Marvin just like directing like all kinds of crazy stuff from the neutral zone, like getting yeah. these great passes, uh, cycling in the offensive zone as well. Like, and you love to have a fourth line like that, but you really want to see more of that energy from your top six. As yeah, well. like, like no offense to like Taylor Gerard and Gigi Marvin and Amanda Pelkey, but like if they're your best mm-hmm. forwards, something's gone wrong right with, mm-hmm. with that roster and, and yeah i mean even even the the first game the home opener in montreal i mean gerard had the the shorthanded goal uh marvin set up pelkey in overtime uh for the mm-hmm. winner um i mean you know at one point night went like you know three four games for the point uh like and and that's it, it's just you know Listen, in a long season, in a twenty-four game, I mean, long se- in a twenty-four game season, which is both long and short, depending on which way you look at it, uh, you're going to need everybody to step up. Uh, but at a, cer- at a certain point, you you're going to need consistency from your top players, and and I think Boston, you know, at the beginning of the season, that's why they gave Jake's that that three-year contract, expected her to be one of their top players, and, and when that didn't happen, they they kind of needed to adjust because the, the, it's something just. It's almost like the pieces haven't really fit together yet, and they're still mm-hmm. trying to find. Like they, they have they have all the puzzle pieces in place, and they're all really cool pieces, uh, but they haven't been able to find put them together in, in a way. And and I think that's as a struggle that a lot of teams have kind of had to deal with early on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but for them, it's glaring because of the expectations, right? Like you expect that group to be. Uh, yeah. among the best scoring forward groups in, in the league. And, and we just haven't seen that yet. And um, there's still time. I'm not writing Boston off by any stretch of the imagination, but you can see why there is some urgency to make mm-hmm. this trade um, from their perspective. Definitely. And I think that uh, Minnesota is, you know, an environment where I think Sophie Jakes can potentially thrive. And mm-hmm. I think that she's going to, maybe not like start producing at a crazy clip for them, but I think it's going to be just very interesting to see her get into the lineup and see what she can do with, you know, this Minnesota roster that plays with like such speed and such high energy and such like, I don't know, they they are very physical as well. And she's still going to have to deal with like these tough four check situations that maybe she's not quite as used to. Um, but I think they're going to be able to free her up to get a lot more open ice than maybe Boston's system was allowing her. Um, and it was interesting earlier when you mentioned Aaron Ambrose, because in that Boston Montreal game, um, like I kind of saw her do a very similar move to Ambrose's goal, like coming in on the goaltender. Like obviously she didn't have like that great uh, setup, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, from, you know, Marie Fleetland and, uh, I forget who else this is on that Murphy. goal. Murray Murphy. Yeah, Maureen Murphy. Yeah. yeah, and, you know, but she kind of, like, took it in on her own, and she made a very similar move to Ambrose, and I'm like, yeah, like, 
Aaron Ambrose is a great blueprint for Sophie Jakes and it's such a smart detail oriented and like instinctive style of playing defense that takes I think a long time to grow into um but I think she's more than capable of getting there it's just you know she does need that the patience and the time to get there yeah and you know it, it's it's another parallel to, to Ambrose is um her trade from uh from Toronto to Montreal was kind of probably the the most the closest to a real hockey trade that mm-hmm. we, we saw because I mean there was a there were a couple of first round picks in that trade that you know by the way were never used because um you know RIP CWHL uh, at that point <laughs> but but I mean it, you know it wasn't just future considerations there was actual assets given up in that trade and and yeah I mean you know Aaron Ambrose when she first broke into the senior national team um and even the CWHL was was just not the player that she is or she is now or, or that she became. I mean, you know, she was she was cut from centralization in 2018. And, and I think that it, it it requires a certain mix of um, like you say, instincts, but also confidence to pull that off regularly. Mm-hmm. And and Minnesota, I, I think, is a is a good fit for her, just age-wise, because they're a sneaky young team. Um, mm-hmm. like like you look at their team and they have, you know, um, you know, there are a lot of lots of names there that we've heard for a while. Um, but even like Zamwinkle and Heisey, like they're first year pros. Um, they, they have a lot of young players on that team. Um, someone like Liz Shepherds, even and Claire DeGeorge, and just a bunch of players that have just come out of university. Uh, and Jake's kind of fits into that that age group uh as well. And I and I think that it's it's a it's a sneaky young group that they're building in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. That you know, you, you look at their signings of Panic, Stackline, and Coin Schofield, and you're like, oh, this is a team that's you know veteran heavy, but their drafting did not go in that direction. They're drafting skewed mm-hmm. really young. Uh and, and I think that it's it's gonna be interesting to see how she fits in just with that group altogether. Obviously, a couple of former um Ohio State teammates on that team as well. So it, it'll be yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how how that goes. But yeah, I, I think. I think it's a trade that is a lot more even than it first appeared. Uh, you can't just look at age and draft position. Um, you have to look at the the circumstances. And you know, Boston was not was was not necessarily going to um, be happy with her taking up one of those those high salaried spots um, mm-hmm. based on what they are. Because I mean, you look at you know, free agency is coming up uh, in in a few months, and you're going to need that that flexibility to kind of surround the players that you you have and obviously there's going to be um a draft and as well coming in and and new players that are going to need um contracts as well so yeah it's it it provides them with flexibility that necessarily um they might not have with um with uh just the assets and trade alone there's there's some whispers that there's a draft pick that's going to be flipped when draft picks are allowed to be flipped um that right now they're not allowed to be traded. Um, there's a couple of people who have floored that out there, but even if not, I, I think it's a lot. It's a lot more even of a trade than it first appears. Um, just because Jake's has that name recognition, that that expectation, um, but they they got a couple of really good fits as well uh, into that mm-hmm. team and 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 flexibility as well. Right, that's that's a reality we have to talk about in, in a cap league. Mm-hmm. It, it's something that you know the salary matters and we don't know necessarily the salaries, but 
because she has a three-year contract, we have an idea of of that she's on that high end of of that scale mm-hmm. um, for sure. So definitely going to be interesting. Yeah. And Minnesota coming off of that four-one loss to Toronto as well, right? Like they they they're we see them at you know they've been at the top of the league since the league basically started um, since their first game. They've been at near the top of the league, um, but but there are some games where um, they 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 show that they might need a little bit of a shakeup and um, that four one. I don't think it's a coincidence that this, that this trade happened um, after that last game that they played, which was a, a big loss to, to Toronto. Yeah. It was odd to see their, their offense kind of like struggle to get anything going. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's, that hasn't been typical of them. I, I don't, you know, it's definitely probably somewhat reactive, but I think it's more like, Oh, like, you know, we're noticing that we kind of, you know, people are starting to get wise to like who our spark plug players are. We need more options. We need to diversify our offense a little bit more. And, you know, that's, I think in, you know, with acquiring Tafani, that's exactly the same thing that Boston did. They really diversify their offense in this way because Tafani can kind of do anything. Like I've seen her kill penalties. I've seen her on the power play, like as a shooting option from the circles, like you know, I've seen her do pretty much everything and she can do it well, but she also just has like a great finishing ability. Um, and I think that's going to help them a lot. Yeah. And Minnesota's strong start. I mean, that came on the back of their goaltending being like in, insane. Um, like, yeah. Just like, unbeatable. Yeah. Like 960 save percentage and Zumwinkle was shooting like 20% or something like that. Like it, yeah. it's, you know, that was something that people were looking at. Like I, I look, it's a great start, but I, I don't know if they just can keep going the way it's going. Um, and, and you see it as well. Like it's, um, it's, 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 um, I, I love the Yogi Berra quote. Uh, it gets early late. Um, it, <laughs> yeah. sorry, it, it gets late early. It gets, sorry. I, I screwed that up. It gets late early. Um, yeah. and in, in a 24 game season, it gets late early. Um, you know, we're, we're already almost halfway through the season. Um, I can't for, believe for it, which is crazy because it's only like the second month of the season, uh, which, um, which is crazy. Uh, but yeah, it's it's it it gets late early in a twenty four game season, and and you saw the urgency of Toronto, um, and they're not out of it by any stretch, especially if they keep getting performances like they're getting from their their top players, and uh, you know, a couple, string a couple of regulation wins together, and you're you're right back into it um especially yeah. if especially if result because teams you know in a when every game is worth three points it, it there's no artificial you know there's no there's no four point games right every game is three points so you know that your opponents are going to get three points regardless of what results go in so you're not too worried about an overtime game from your opponents so it's it's going to be this playoff race is going to be insane because even even when Toronto was you know the, the worst team in the league uh, there was still a big fight for that fifth spot, uh, that fourth spot, um, in the playoffs. And yeah, it's 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 gonna be uh, it's gonna be really, 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 really interesting as as we get into crunch time in games twenty and twenty one, twenty two, and yeah, and- I I think that four or five spot is really gonna come down to the wire. Yeah. Like I I genuinely don't want to know who's definitely in the playoffs until like the last day of the season, like. I and I think that I may get my wish. Like I just want to be completely like on the edge of my seat, wondering what's going to happen. I, I don't remember if you remember. Um, I don't think it was the last. It was the before the last CWHL season, when um, Vanke, Toronto, and Markham were all fighting for basically two spots, 
and it came down to like a made up game um like that was postponed and moved to like a random monday after the season ended between toronto and markham and uh markham had to win to get into the playoffs um and then and they did and eliminated uh vanke who was in a playoff spot for like the majority of the season and missed right, out. Yeah. Because they had played very well. Right. And they just, they kind of fell off at the end. They, they ran out of steam. Um, yeah. Uh, like Elaine truly was playing way too much and facing way too many pucks and just couldn't, could not keep it going. Um, and, and I, and, uh, and Markham ended up making the playoffs like the last, the last game of the season. And the, um, it's, uh, I, I don't know if, was that, that might have been a year to one the year that Markham won the Mark Clarkson Cup. I, I don't know for sure. I, I don't have I don't have that's a long time ago at this point. But um that was that was probably the craziest playoff race that I can remember. Um and, and it this this definitely has feels of that, where it's gonna come down to maybe even two teams playing against each other in the last game of the season or uh scoreboard watching or yeah, it's it's gonna be they, they should do like uh, other sports do and have every game start at the same time on the last day of the season. So you, you don't know what's going to happen. Uh, yeah. That was the year that, that Markham won the Clarkson cup. They yeah. beat uh Coolin red star. Yeah. In so overtime. That, that, so they, they made it in on the last day of the season. Um, added Laura Stacey, Jocelyn LaRock, um, Laura Fortino. They got all their Olympians back. <laughs> that year yeah and then um, they uh and then they, they beat like Canadian two nothing yeah in the best of three yeah no I'm just looking at the <laughs> at the bracket right now like yeah that, that, that and was game, a wild game year. one of that game one of that series um had the craziest ending to a game that I've ever seen and it was not it was not recorded um there was no video of it but Jamie Lee Rattray scored a shorthanded goal in overtime to win game oh my one God. of that series yeah um, I, I'm really sorry I missed that. Yeah, it was it was wild, and that was that was the year that Hillary Knight came to play for the Canadiens at the end of the season, uh, as well. So like there was a lot of um, a lot of uh, craziness at the end at the at the end of that CWHL season uh, that that fed into the next year. But yeah, it was wild wild times. But yeah, I always think of that Rattray shorthanded goal, and uh, I've I I I saw it live. And I've never seen it video of it since because it does not exist. Uh, but it's like burned into your brain, like a lot. I, I mean, of it was. It was I mean, goals are. I mean, how how often do you see a shorthanded goal in overtime in the playoffs? Right, like it's just yeah, um, just wild, um, wild game. And and yeah, I mean, just you. And that was the time when Montreal, I mean, Montreal's Montreal had Ambrose on that team, and and Hillary Knight uh, had joined. They didn't have Poulain at the time, um, which might explain mm-hmm. why they lost in overtime. But yeah, <laughs> um, she came the next season, uh, and then that season, yeah, that that season was a cursed season where nobody. Yeah, we don't need to talk about that year. <laughs> Just uh, so many injuries that year. Um, I think that that full team for the Canadian played like one one and a half games together uh, the entire year. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. We're not here to talk about that. Um, I, I've I've uh, I'll, I'll have to write a book about that year. Oh wait um yeah we we should really like some some of us should get together and like write a book about the cwhl that, like that last I, that I, last season especially had yeah. so much drama uh like the the top three teams in the league all changed coaches um in mid-season which in women's hockey is very rare 
Um, just lots of craziness in that year. Um, Brianne Jenner was stripped of her captaincy at the beginning of that season. Um, just craziness. Yeah, it's that if it, it that that season deserves a book, definitely. Uh, I mean, the CWHL yeah. on its own deserves a book, but that season had the. Uh, it's it kind of flown under the radar. Uh, in terms of just its craziness, and uh, that doesn't even go into the fact that Hillary Knight and Mary Flutefly were on the same team for the entire year, um, which yeah. a lot, a you, lot of people, a lot of people don't even realize. That many point. people forget this. <laughs> many yeah. people forget this, or didn't even know yeah. this. So yeah, it's just yeah, wild, wild, wild year um, um, in women's hockey history for sure. Um, do we want to briefly talk about? Um, I don't even know if there's really that much to talk about, but I'm very excited about uh, the battle on Bay Street on Friday. Yes. Um, I'm hopefully going to be there. Fingers crossed that like my <laughs> life doesn't fall apart in the interim. Um, but you know, I it, I would love to be part of like just getting to see like the biggest women's hockey crowd in history it would be very exciting for me personally. Yeah, I'm, it... I'm really looking forward to it. It's it's gonna be one of those things where it's 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 crazy. Like I, I did I did the number crunching today. So um, Montreal plays Friday in Toronto at Scotiabank Arena, and Sunday in Montreal at Place Bell in Laval, and they're gonna have um, between twenty eight and twenty nine thousand people at those two games, um, which will be the 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 two of the three biggest crowds in PWHL history, and Montreal's already played in the top three most attended games in PWHL history. They played, the, obviously, the game in Minnesota, the home opener of 13,000. Uh, their game in Laval against Ottawa um, had uh, 8,600. And then Ottawa's home opener, which against Montreal, mm-hmm. was about 8,300. And so Toronto's going to have 18,000, so that'll go number one. Uh, Place Bell on Sunday is, is very, very close to a sellout. So that's about 10,000 people as well. So Montreal will have played in the five most attended games in the PWHL's history. And they have Pittsburgh coming up, which is probably Mm going to be in that top five as well. So then you can look at the top six games uh, in PWHL history are all going to be played by um, with Montreal in it. Uh, Obviously, Motor City uh, in Detroit might uh, sneak in there and and ruin ruin, ruin that streak. I think that's I think that's what like uh seventeen thousand in that arena, yeah, in Detroit uh, seventeen thousand yeah. something, and it's Pittsburgh eighteen thousand one hundred eighty seven because they had to do a Sydney Crosby thing with the seating. So I remember <laughs> when they were when they were planning that arena out. Um, but my mom and her friends have bought five tickets to the Pittsburgh game. I'm almost definitely going to be at that game as well because my family is from near Pittsburgh, so I can just go crash at my mom's. Um. <laughs> So I'm I'm also really looking forward to that. Pittsburgh has like been really whole hog into women's hockey yeah. at the like, moment. You talk about campaigning for a team, like they are they are like full on like they're, yeah they're they're like the the team that's like um they're like the uh the Salt Lake City of women's hockey <laughs> or like yeah. we we want a team and we're gonna do everything we can to get a team and to to show that we want a team like they're. Like I'm sure if they had the choice, they would like 
literally give Mark Walter the money. Not that he yeah. wants it or needs it, but they would absolutely go up to him and be like, we're paying for this team, whether you like it or not. And we're putting yeah. a team in Pittsburgh. Um, like they're, they're single-handedly going to like force expansion. Um, <laughs> like I think earlier than people expect it. Like I don't I, expect I it for year two. I, yeah. I, I don't expect I, I it for you to be team, mad about it. I wouldn't be mad about it. And and I think that they're positioning themselves to kind of be like they, they want a team like October. Like I just get that feeling that they're just mm-hmm. like all in on, on this. And um yeah, it's it's very interesting to see because they're they're like pushing for it more than teams that like have market teams in their market. Like it's it just mm-hmm. um and, and they've also they've also supported it for for a while as well yeah um uh i remember when they hosted i believe it was the 2017 nwhl all-star game like they were mm-hmm. they're very invested in it like at a time when the profile was much much lower which mm-hmm. to me shows yeah. like a genuine commitment to the sport yeah um and like for my part that was probably the best like facilities experience that i'd had up until that point covering like a women's hockey event um, just because like, you know, they were providing the exact same media resources that they would have provided to say, like, I don't know, a penguins playoff practice, like, you know, how yeah. playoff practice media availabilities can get, um, like it, it was just, it was being executed at a very high level and with a very like intense level of care, um, to make sure that like the players and the press and the fans were all having a really good experience at that facility yeah. in Cranberry, um, so I would, I, I think they've, they've definitely earned the right to, to want to support a team for sure. I'm, I'm looking forward to that possibility and yeah, my but, mom would freak out. <laughs> <laughs> but like there, there's a lot of teams that have come out of the woodwork more because of the PWHL, um, mm-hmm. but they, they were, they're like the OGs, one of the OGs of, of supporting and, and doing it the right way. Like they, they held um, the, uh, what i forget what they called it but like after the olympics they had like that uh rivalry renewed or i don't know what they called it uh it wasn't quite rivalry series wasn't quite um it was kind of right but they were like game. hosting they were hosting an exhibition yeah yeah I remember it was that. kind of u.s uh exhibition game and um as well and they, they've they've done pwhpa stuff as well and just definitely always been there and and this is not new and, and i think that you know if if there were seven markets at the start, I think Pittsburgh would have been in that that, that definitely seventh market. And I think that they were uh, maybe a little peeved. And I think they've said that they've been peeved, that they weren't included in the six also, um, the original six. <laughs> yeah. But um, they kind of, you know, they, they, Pittsburgh was part of the, the second six in the NHL. So I think that that's what they're um, they're holding on to and be like, okay, fine, we'll be the second the, the second. Uh, yeah group in in the in the pwhl as well but yeah looking forward to that as well um i i don't have the opportunity to, to travel even though montreal is going to be there but um just uh montreal is having a watch party actually at the bell center um at the the restaurant at the bell center they just oh, announced that's that today. really fun yeah they just announced that today that they're doing um actually sorry that's for the friday game not for the pittsburgh game but they're probably going to do it for the pittsburgh game too now that i think about it um i'm getting my my dates all mixed up now um but yeah they're having a a watch party for the battle of bay street on friday um at the bell center uh restaurant so it's gonna be gonna be a lot of fun and and i think that it's um i really think that there's uh a lot of i don't want to say regret but um 
like a lot of people are looking at the Bell Center and being like, oh, it would have been really nice to have a game there. We're not, not that they're seeing the attendance numbers at other places. And um, I, I was shocked that, you know, we didn't see a game scheduled at the Bell Center because that was like kind of one of the first things on my mind when they announced this league and they announced the schedules and I was seeing all these TBD locations and I'm like oh they're gonna do they're gonna do Bell Center right they have to do the Bell Center like I've never been to Bell Center and I would love for my first time there to be for a PWHL game yeah they'll definitely have one um I think that they like everyone else were caught off guard by the by the support um Mm -hmm. I think that you know they've had games the Bell Center before but we're talking about like 5800 and you know uh crowds that would not even fill up the lower bowl but I think mm-hmm. that at this point, the the bar has been raised to a level where I would be surprised they aren't at the Bell Center next season. Uh, and that's not yeah. inside knowledge. It's just inference. Um, once they have a clean slate and there's no NHL schedule and there's no concerts uh, booked that far ahead, uh, I think it'll be a lot easier to kind of uh, fit them in. Uh, like even the March 16th, that was a day that I looked and there's no event at the Bell Center that day. But the next day, uh, they start hosting the uh, ISU World Championships, the World Figure Skating Championships. Right. So that that rink is going to be set up for them, and and they have like uh, practices and stuff like that. Like that rink will not be ready for hockey um, on the 16th. So I've, I I don't think that was ever a realistic possibility, um, just because of that turnaround and things like that. But I I would be like I mean you had you had the the entire Montreal Canadiens executive show up to the home opener in Verdun. <laughs> um, I would be very shocked if there isn't at least one game like this year. They're kind of splitting between Verdun and Place Bell. Again, no inside knowledge, just inference and and kind of guessing. It would not shock me if next season is split between Bell Center and Place Bell. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I don't that, think that would make that would make a lot of sense. And I don't think that they're going to expect, you know, 20, 20 fun, 21,000 every single game. But I do think that they will want to beat that attendance record that Toronto is going to set. Um, yeah. And, and I think that they're, and I think that they can do it. I mean, they're getting 10,000 in Laval, which is a very different demographic. Like the Laval is not a destination where people, you know, go from downtown to Laval to, you know, there are some, but it's not a huge influx it's more people on the north of montreal that kind of congregate there um but i the bell center you can get people from all over to kind of uh get there and yeah i I would i would be very surprised if if season two does not include at least one game at the bell center um for sure yeah yeah, it'll it'll be a lot of fun um i'm looking forward to seeing the the game in toronto Uh, i'm looking forward to to seeing the game in pittsburgh I, i will definitely have a little bit of fomo um but it'll it'll be okay i'll i'll, I'll handle it <laughs> and um yeah just wait, wait wait my turn uh for when it it comes in my backyard well you're probably going to get to cover the playoffs so and i'm probably yeah. not going to have time to do that because it's <laughs> going to be it's going to be a crazy time of year for me so and i will I, get to i'll get to live vicariously <laughs> through you at that point and who knows um i don't you know there's not going to be a, another hockey team in montreal making the playoffs so maybe the maybe maybe the Bell Center will be available for a playoff game, um, oh as as well. So um, again, I'm I'm not I'm not. This is not like breaking news. This is not like a, a scoop no, or report. I know. I just it it's me. Just... It's it's half inference and also half 
wishful thinking uh, on my part. Um, but uh, again, it wouldn't surprise me in the near future. Um, not in the regular season, but who knows? There's no dates for the playoffs yet. So um, no, I just uh, I love it when people say mean things about NHL teams. That's all. Well, <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah, we're, we're used to it in Montreal. Um, the, 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 the Canadian have been the best pro women's pro hockey team in Montreal, um, for a long time and they haven't played a game in six years. So, uh, <laughs> it's, 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 it's been a long road, although, uh, the rocket have had some moments and, and now PWHL Montreal as well, um, is top of the league, uh, as well. So it's, it'll be, it'll be fun. Um, but yeah, th definitely cool that Montreal is part of all these big moments, um, Although I, I think that they would just rather settle into a kind of normalcy and not have all these big events, but um, it's it's uh, everyone loves. I mean, Montreal's an easy sell, right? When you have the best player in the world, um, mm -hmm. you're gonna fill buildings. I, I think that's just a realistic view of things. They're just a really fun team to watch. Like regardless, <laughs> they're just yeah. really fun. Yeah, so. it's it's a it's a fun group to be around. Um, and and yeah, I mean, speaking of. Do we want to talk about the rivalry series we, we can, before yeah. we wrap up? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that the I know that like the rivalry series um is 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 kind of funny because like a lot of people are looking at this like, oh, is this really necessary with the PWHL? Um and I think yes, it is necessary even with the PWHL. Uh but I, I think that it's really interesting. And I'm curious to your thoughts on this. That two years in a row, the U.S. has built up a 3-0 lead and then Canada has won four straight. And I'm not saying that in a sense of like, because it's not a regular series. Um, right. It doesn't actually have I, I, any I think, I think it talks more about the dynamics of how these national teams are built, where the U.S. Uh, capitalizes on their NCAA talent available to them and is has been unable to necessarily replace those people uh as we get into the later stages of this and at the same time Canada's I don't want to say Canada's veterans seem to get better <laughs> as as they play more games and and you see that with Poulain and Spooner especially uh and, well, and I think it's 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 a really interesting dynamic in terms of just how these national teams are built and, and I think the PWHL is going to really change the dynamic of that a little bit as well. Definitely. Um, I mean, not to like do homerism, like American homerism, <laughs> because I, I hate, I hate the United States of America. Like I live here, I'm from here, but the only time I ever get like remotely, I don't know, patriotic is about USA women's hockey. That's literally the only time. Um, like you, you did lose at the world championships. So obviously it wasn't everything. Um, but, you know, I do think you're absolutely right about Team USA really not having, like, different options that they can look to to get the same level of offense in particular. Um, I do think that it just kind of speaks to both teams being in a kind of different place, like, in their development cycle, so to speak. Like, Team USA has these NCAA level players who are really ready right now to contribute at the national team level and they're not having um, any difficulty stepping into that role when the international breaks come around and when they're able to get away from the college teams like they're ready. Um, I think Canada is like the kind of next wave of Team Canada is really like a couple years behind. 
and I think that that might just be a coincidence um you know that they're just kind of in different spots right now um you know there's some there's some players on team Canada who I would expect to see you know formally retiring in the next few years right um potentially and I think that they're going to be players coming in who you know might need a little bit of time to adjust and to fill those big shoes but I think like you know the the players that Canada has in like the at the U18 level and you know in NCAA as well like I think they're going to start getting looks in, in a more serious way within the next couple of years um and you know it all it also comes down to strategy like mm-hmm. you know Gina Kingsbury has really like kind of relied on these older players for such a long time and there will be a transition period where I think Canada is going to be figuring out how to utilize the younger players um but you know uh Team USA definitely doesn't have the same like kind of solid veteran core that Canada does and that's why they're really struggling without their college players is because a lot of the the offense the energy is coming from those NCAA players yeah it's it's really interesting because at first, and and I was talking to other people about this, and at first my my instinct was, man, Canada's really relying on their older players and they're going to be in trouble. And then I thought about it a little bit more. And you look at their their team and you see, you know, and obviously I'm not going to talk about the the Sarah Filiers, Claire Thompsons, and um, Daniel Serdaknes and, and players like that who are, um, are unavailable to them during this February portion. Uh, but you look at players like MMLT and Maggie Connors and that kind of next wave of player is already developing in the PWHL. And that defense, I mean, you look at someone like Ella Shelton, who has really come into her own in the PWHL. I mean, she's scoring every first goal that there is to score in this, in this league and, and really developing into an offensive threat. Um that that she wasn't at the national team level before this, and someone like Ashton Bell, um, and, and that whole that whole generation of like not just graduated NCAA player is is mm-hmm. something that is going to continue to develop, and Canada can pick from, and even the US um, can can kind of pick from. Like you know, I I was surprised like how little look Maureen Murphy got in in the games because I mean she's someone who is. Um, you know, played with great players her entire NCAA career um, with Alina Mueller, uh, Chloe Arard, and then, you know, playing with Mary Philippe Like, I, I would almost want to see her play with better players on Team USA and see how that plays because she's she's someone who's shown, um, shown a lot um, to me and, and has kind of hit the ground running, but, but, and, and not really being utilized, like someone like, say MML is on team Canada or Maggie Connors. Um, and, and I think that that's something that's very interesting in, in the two teams development cycles is that U S kind of like, they kind of, I don't want to say they panic, but they just kind of take players they know from the U 18 level and, and not mm-hmm. necessarily players that have been performing better at the, um, at, at the national team level. And obviously they have camps, like they know these players, I'm not saying that they scout them at, you know, 17 years old and then, don't look at them again. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that they, they tend to favor those players that have been on the U18 program that have been to their fall camps and stuff. 
And, and it's going to be interesting to see when kind of the, the playing field kind of equalizes where you can be like, hey, this person is putting up more, like all these points. We should probably just take them onto the national team. And and you see, you, you saw Canada kind of do that with Anne-Sophie Bate, but really late. Um, mm -hmm. You saw it with, with Jamie Lee Rattray, who was kind of in and out of that picture as well. And and I think that that's going to be, that's going to change the dynamic as well. Like I look at someone that like, I look at the, the U.S. defense that they brought to the February rivalry series, and there's a lot of names that weren't on that team that I think probably were more deserving than players that were chosen. Mm -hmm. Not take anything away from those players, um, but even just watching the PWHL, um, that it's it, it's it was interesting, and I wonder if that's going to change going forward in terms of their their player selection. Um, I know it will change because you get to evaluate these players and they get to train year round as well. Right. It, it's, it's kind of a catch 22 where you get to see more of them against high competition and they get to improve because they're playing against high competition as well. So I, I'm, I'm really excited for this next stage of international women's hockey and, and kind of looking at it from a PWHL to the national team and not, hey, look, this national team player is now on the PWHL, but hey, this PWHL player is now in the on the national team, and and mm -hmm. that dynamic changing in it, and I think it's gonna be very interesting. But yeah, I mean, you know, look, I'm not gonna say that Canada is uh, a dominant uh, is dominant at the senior national team level um, when the U.S. is missing Abby Murphy and uh, Kayla Barnes and uh, KK Harvey and. Like no, like <laughs> those are those are you know Kayla Barnes and 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 Harvey are two of their best defenders period, and and they're just yeah. not, not there anymore. Um, like it's it's just yeah. Not I'm just I'm comparing the rosters and even like someone like Rory Gilday who played on the November roster for Team USA really impressed me. Just like you know with puck movement and um, I think even getting like a little bit of power play quarterback time like just really impressive at a very young age. Like I think the defense in particular for Team USA really changes dramatically when you're getting these younger NCAA players into the roster. Like they're just generating so much more from, you know, all areas of the ice, um, not to take anything away from anybody else. But, you know, I, I almost think like as, as you get older in that position, sometimes I think players shy away from taking those big risks um at times and like having a few players who are willing to take those risks and who maybe like you know are, are a little bit more impulsive at times combined with like a, say a Megan Keller who you know has really been known for so long for her offensive prowess at college but then like you know she's really just become a much more responsible defender as she's aged and she does these like kind of little subtle things like on breakouts that you might not notice unless you're really paying attention but she's so smart and like is getting so much better like as she ages at like you know covering up for something that might might have happened you know in another area of the ice like she's mm -hmm. anticipating so much better um and you know just to see the combination of those two styles of play like younger players taking risks with more responsible veterans like really changes the whole makeup of team usa particularly in transition and on special teams um so i don't know i I think that once we have these college players back in, you know, the world championship roster, things will, things will look different for team USA, but uh, 
Canada has also like really kind of come come together in a very like interesting, cohesive, exciting way um, in the last few games of the rivalry series. They were fun to watch. I wasn't enjoying it per se, but they were fun to watch. Yeah, and it's kind of, you kind of see the parallels to how Team Canada is built and how Toronto is built. Um, mm-hmm. and, and not, obviously the people are the same, um, the people making the decisions, but but you kind of see the the same kind of things going on. And, and, and I think that there is something to be said about, you know, a, a team kind of getting better as, as they play more games. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, you're seeing that with Toronto and, and you saw that with team Canada, like it, I, I don't think that they optimize their roster the right way either. Like that line of Jenner, Poulain and Turnbull just did not work. It, it, no. it, 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 it did not work. And they, they weren't able to, and when you neutralize Hulan's line, which she didn't have a point in the first four games, uh, it, it kind of you, you, they don't really have the the depth necessarily to offset that, right? Like you have great lines like the O'Neill Clark Stacy line, which Turnbull went on um, in this leg, and the Toronto line of you know Nurse and Spooner and um, and Malte or you know whoever was on that line definitely were were able to, to produce, but it's only it's only because that Poulin line was also producing and and had them to um you know Spooner was on that line for a bit as well. So it, it's it's really interesting to see that even Canada hasn't been able to even with their veteran heavy roster, they haven't been able to really find that one combination that works other than like Laroc and Fast on defense and Clark, Stacy, and whatever center they want to put on that that line. Other than that, it's kind of like you never know what's going to happen. Like even after they won, um, the the first two games, uh, in in Saskatchewan, they still changed that top line and put Spooner down the lineup and put Rattray on on the uh, the Poulain line. Like it just it, it just seems like they they're they're trying to find that that combination still, um, even despite being a super veteran roster that you should have, you should know who that top line is like the U S does the U S knows who their top mm-hmm. line is for the most part. Um, and they, they, they try different combinations there as well, but it, it's never, it, it's, it's always interesting to see like Canada switch it up a little bit and, and seeing what they are trying to find in, in that combination. But it's, I, I, I think I, I'll, I think, uh, you know, if I'm thinking about who I want to put with Poulin, I would, generally i'd like i'd love to see jesse eldridge with her more like they played really well together in cwhpa like you know they i don't know they had this like just really wonderful chemistry where they were like feeding each other and seeing each other so well and i would love to see jesse eldridge get another shot at playing on her right side yeah there's there's a lot of players who who can play that role um and but it it just seems like they they don't want to like I mean look how long it took Jamie Lee Rattray to get a regular shift on on Team Canada, um, even despite scoring goals she would still only play like four or five minutes a game, um, but yeah it's Jesse Eldridge is someone who is really um, coming to her own the last couple of years, uh, and and it's gonna be very interesting to see and um, that it was a weird it, I even. Like even picking like Victoria Bach, who hadn't like played, who played one game <laughs> before the rivalry series, um, or maybe two games, but it just weird, w- interesting decisions. I wouldn't say weird, but interesting decisions, um, 
for for Team Canada, and it, it's it's it, it's good for the drama, but there's also some very real dynamics that play to the advantages of both countries um, that differentiate November and December and February, uh, and there's very real reasons why. Um, and let's not forget that in November, um, most of the Canadian players, um, which again vet very veteran heavy, were not playing hockey at that point. And the U.S.'s players uh, coming from the NCAA have been playing hockey for like a month and a half uh, as well. So it's, I, I think we're going to see a little bit more of a routine start to, to show up. But for now, um, there's very real reasons why the U.S. gets off to a quick lead uh, and Canada comes back strong at the end. And it's not because the U.S. is choking. <laughs> like that's, a, no. that's, not, that, that, that's, that's the, the quote unquote narrative. But there's very real reasons why this is happening. Um, and, and it's not an indication of, um, what's going to happen at Worlds. Yeah. Um, uh, hopefully we'll also be at some of Worlds. I feel like I'm really stretching myself crazy thin trying to do all this stuff, but it's also like, I, you know, I don't want to miss the opportunity to like, you know, to see it for myself. Um, like I'm, that's, that's what's been great about this, this league happening at this moment is that I've been so truly excited about the sport for the first time in so long um without like this persistent sense of dread that something terrible is about to happen um so you know may maybe knock on wood so that um I don't jinx us but uh it's 2024 has been the just the wildest possible experience if you follow women's hockey <laughs> yeah it, I Women's hockey keeps trying to get me to go to Utica between the 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 preseason event uh, that the PWHL had there and and Worlds. Uh, I don't I don't think I'll be able to convince the family to go to Utica um, at Worlds, <laughs> uh, which which is now the second time that uh, Worlds is within driving distance, and um, I have not gone and 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 I'm just hoping that one day Hockey Canada will do me a solid and worlds in montreal where i won't have to make the decision um and it'll be made for me I, I have that 2026 tba canadian destination circled in my head and like i'm i'm uh manifesting that montreal will be named um but uh again no no inside information here just uh half uh mo no for for worlds it's definitely mostly wishful thinking on my part but yeah it's it's nice that it's close um, I'm hoping to go. I I don't think I will, but uh, definitely we'll we'll be talking about it at some point. Um, uh, but yeah, yet, yet another major event that I'll have FOMO at. But hey, uh, at least there's women's hockey to talk about besides the events that I am missing out on. Yeah, and you know, there's there's always something to talk about. So we always. should do this again in a couple weeks. Absolutely. Uh, Zoe, thank you so much for, for joining me. And uh, we, we have well, we have PWHL games coming up. Um, we're, we're Tuesday as we're recording this. So Wednesday there's games and all through the week and, and back to a regular schedule after a couple of uh, stop and start weeks between the All-Star break and, and the international break. And um, it'll be very uh, fun to have games to talk about again and, and on TV. And and it's... Uh, it, it's it's funny because it's I was watching Robert's series and like remember remember when like this was the only women's hockey that would be on TV 
<laughs> and it'd be like months between uh, when we would be able to see women's hockey on TV. And now it's like, oh, we'll have like, you know, seven games on in the next two weeks. <laughs> like, it's just uh, incredible world to, time to be in. Like you, like you mentioned earlier, uh, 2024 is uh, wild for people who will cover women's hockey or cover women's hockey. Um, Zoe, thank you so much. Thank you all for listening. And uh, we'll see you next time on this uh, yet to be named Women's Hockey Podcast. <laughs> Thanks. Bye, everybody. This episode has been brought to you by Bet Online. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.